All right, good to see everybody this morning. Let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and go straight to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, as you're going there, let me just um, echo Russ's passion in his prayer and his exhortation to us to be a generous people, to be a giving people. The, the text we're going to look at today is going to um, encourage us as well to give radically to the Lord, not because um, He needs our money, but because He's worth it. Um, it's our giving and our, our generosity, our worship through giving is about His worth more than it is anything. And uh, so we're going to look at a text today, not even really about giving, about money, it's about worship. But make no mistake that uh, worship's not just music, it is all of these things. It's your whole life, giving your whole life to God, including uh, your money. But Mark chapter 14, I want us to be compelled to be better worshipers by this, uh, this woman who comes to, to Jesus and interrupts a dinner party um, in a pretty extravagant way. So Mark 14, hopefully you found your place there in your Bible. Hope you brought your Bible. I'm going to encourage you one more time. Please bring this, your, your, this book, you know, the paper and this book, right? Bring this with you. Open it up. Let's stand together and read from Mark 14. Beginning in verse 1 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, Jesus, by stealth and to kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Father, help us to learn from this story that you promised, Lord Jesus, you promised we would still be telling this story, and here we are today, still telling this story. And God, I pray as we reflect on this woman's extravagant display of love and worship for you, as we think about that, Lord, we would be challenged to be like her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So the, the broader backstory of what's going on in this, uh, in this time is it's, it's about the time of Passover uh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. A little, little bit of back history on this. Um, the time of Passover happened when uh, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. And they had been through nine plagues. The Lord was delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And then the tenth plague 
was a promise from God that he was sending a, a death angel to come and take the life of the firstborn child in every home, both Egyptian and Israelite. And there was one way of salvation for you, and it was if you were to slaughter a lamb, a very specific lamb, but you kill a lamb, break its body, and shed its blood, and then you take the blood of the lamb and you, you kind of paint it on the doorpost of your home. And any home where the blood was applied, the, the death angel would pass over. That's where we get this term for Passover. Well, the, as the story goes, uh, the people in Egypt, many of them did not believe that this plague was coming, including the, uh, the Pharaoh. And so when the plague came, his son, his firstborn, died. And, of course, he grieved um, and he told Moses, get your people and get out of here. And that's what happened. And through this, through this plague, and through this death, and through the blood, that whole deal, God set his people free. Well, in their hurry to get out of Egypt, they weren't even able to let their bread rise. And so we have this feast now of unleavened bread to symbolize the people's freedom from bondage. But also, the feast of unleavened bread is to symbolize the purity of of life, that there's no leaven in our lives, and so we are, we're pure. So these are the symbols that we come to today. You might notice we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, uh, which is often called the Passover meal. Um, and it's maybe a, a feast of definitely unleavened bread. We can thank Chef Russ for that this week. Uh, thank you, Russ, for making, uh, making the unleavened bread is flat and very tasteless, right? So uh, not, not, to, not to blame you, brother, but uh, that's just the way it is. Um, and then we will partake of some juice to be reminded, not of the lamb that was slain in Egypt, but to be reminded of the lamb who was slain at the cross. For because of Jesus' death and His broken body and His shed blood, we are set free. We can be set free. And if you're not set free by, by His body and blood today, you can be. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But that's the, that's the overarching time frame of what's going on as the people have gathered uh, in Jerusalem to celebrate the time of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And while this is going on, a man named Simon decides to throw a party and honor Jesus. And so he, uh, he's, he, he's a leper. Now, just, just so we're aware, a leper is not going to throw a dinner party um, and have a lot of people come. So this is Simon who was a leper. That's just how people know him. He's Simon who was a leper. He's been healed by Jesus, been delivered by Jesus, now is faithful following Jesus, and he throws a party. And people are there. Jesus is there. They've come to celebrate what Jesus can do. And all this is happening at the time of Passover. So here's what we read in verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Um, let's just get a few details. Let's kind of get the imagery here. Uh, an alabaster flask. When I hear that word, I for some reason have this imagery in my mind of a little, a little silver um, square-shaped Container that uh, that old old man might keep in his pocket, right inside his jacket. He'll pull it out, pour a little bit in his coffee when nobody's looking. You know what I'm talking about? That's not the flask that we get that imagery out of your mind. What we're talking about here is a is a pottery 
uh, a piece that looks kind of like a, uh, um, sort of like a, a wine bottle. So it's, it's got a bowl shape at the bottom and then it's very narrow neck at the top. And these were used to, to carry expensive oils and ointments, like very expensive precious oils, perfumes, those type things. And they were sealed at the top, maybe with like a piece of cheesecloth or, or another, uh, another object, a cork of some kind, so that the, the, the oil or ointment could be poured a drop at a time. Just a, just a tiny little bit would make a world of difference. This is a fragile piece, and it's very expensive. Nard is an ointment that comes from a plant in India that is rare and hard to find. And then when you find the root of this nard plant, you take it and you extract an oil. And maybe from one plant, you'd get a couple of drops. So that's the reason it's very expensive is because it's hard to harvest this product. So she has this bottle, this flask. Maybe it's about this deep with a long neck and she's holding it. And she comes in and it's an alabaster flask. So this is an expensive container. And probably it's not high dollar expensive, but it's high sentimental, sentimentality, right? So this is something that's been passed from generation to generation, and um, it's very special. All that to say, she comes in with this jar, a very expensive ointment, and she breaks it. Imagine that she breaks the neck off. So that it's just exposed and open and she just begins to pour it over Jesus' head. And it's just running down his body. It's kind of a messy thing. Well, this, this action um, did not elicit the kind of response that maybe she wanted it to have in the room. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I, would, I just want us to look at what's going on. Uh, Mark's focus is not on naming this woman, although if you read in John chapter 12 or Matthew 26, you might find some more details. But in Mark's gospel, he doesn't name her, and that's because his emphasis is not really on who she is or her backstory. His emphasis is on what has happened, what's the response in the room, and how does Jesus deal with it. So that's where we'll focus our time. Um, just want to be honorable. So there's a lot we can learn from this woman and from what Jesus does in response to her display of worship. And let, let's make no mistake. That's exactly what's going on here. She's come to Jesus and she is showing how much she loves him and how much he's worth. Now, if you want a good working definition for worship, that's it. Here it is. Worship is showing your love while declaring His worth. Worship is showing your love while declaring the worth of Jesus. That's what worship is. It is a display of love and a declaration of His worth. If you have your Bible, I want you to see... In Psalm chapter 96, what exactly is going on here? Psalm chapter 96 in verse 7, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. That's Psalm 96, 7 through 9. What does it mean to ascribe to the Lord glory? Just quickly, that word glory is a Hebrew word, chabod. Can y'all say that without spitting? (laughs) Can you say it with me? Chabod. Try it. Chabod. Here's what it means. Wait. You go, what in the world? What, what is that? How does that even apply? What, is, what does weight mean? Well, imagine a set of scales, the old school kind. You know, there's like a, a metal thing with a T-bar and some chains hanging and little plates at the bottom of the chains. You got that image in your mind? Okay, when you say something has glory, what you're saying is it has more weight than, than whatever else is over here. So when you ascribe to the Lord glory, what you're saying is He is worth more than fill in the blank. So this woman, what she's doing is ascribing to Jesus incredible worth. She's saying, alabaster jar full of a year's worth of wages, precious, hard to find ointment in this side and Jesus over here and He's worth more. She's ascribing to the Lord glory, worship. It's a beautiful expression. She's loving Him and declaring His worth all at the same time. I want us to look at three things about her expression and let's learn from her. She's a great example. True worship is one, costly. True worship is costly. There's no way around this. You know, in our culture today, we, we have especially a, a church culture that loves to cater to people and loves to create a setting in which you come in as a consumer. You come in to get. And that is not the biblical picture of worship. And we certainly hope that after you've come here, you've been, you've been filled with truth. You've been encouraged by truth. You've been challenged to go out with truth. But make no mistake, we want you to come in and give to God the worship He is due. And worship is costly. And just like Russ talked about exhorting us to give of our money, of our resources. We, we, we don't shy away from that. God calls us to worship Him in a way that says He is worth more than whatever it is in this world you want to hold on to. It's costly. This woman models for us uh, what worship really looks like. And then we look back to King David and I, I want us to see if you can find your way in 2 Samuel chapter 24. The very end of King David's life. He's a wise king at this point. He's dying. And at the end of his life, he wants to demonstrate that God is worthy of incredible worship. And so he's decided that he's found a place where he wants to set up an altar and worship God. And he goes to the landowner who owns the property. And he says, listen, I, I, I would really like to build an altar here to the Lord and um, offer to him a burnt sacrifice. Now, we don't worship in that way anymore, thankfully. Um, But this was the way that that David knew to give honor to God. It was the way that God had ascribed for him to do that. So 
David went to the landowner. He said, I, I, I'd really like to build an altar here. And the landowner said, oh, king, do, do what you want. Take, take the land. You can have it. You can have this land. Um, you can have my oxen. You can have these things. Go ahead and offer to the Lord the worship that you desire. I want us to look at what uh, David says in verse 24 of 2 Samuel 24. So 24, 24. But the king said to Aaronah, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that what? That cost me nothing. This is a principle we need to get a hold of, church. Like, true worship is costly. It's going to cost you something. Time, energy, effort, strength, money. Something to honor the Lord, to give Him the glory He's due is going to cost you, and it should. Because in the cost, you're actually saying, Jesus, you are worth more than whatever this is costing me. So we learn from this woman that true worship is costly. We learn from her that true worship is, secondly, careless. Careless. Now, I don't want you to think the connotation I'm, I'm thinking with that word. I'm not thinking about um, it's sloppy or, um, you know, that she's just happy-go-lucky and doesn't care about any details. What I mean by careless is she could care less about what anybody else thinks. Imagine the setting. All these men having a dinner party together. And here comes a woman in Jewish culture. That's not acceptable. It's not Okay. For you to barge in and interrupt a dinner with a bunch of men. But here she comes. Right in the middle of their meal. Jesus is reclining at the table. He's probably, he's probably got something in his mouth. And she just comes in straight to him. Breaks that jar and begins to pour it on his head. This scene... Like, just get it in your mind, okay? She's making a scene. She's created a fragrant smell. If one or two drops is enough to, to cause a stir, a whole pot of this stuff, John chapter 12 says the fragrance filled the room. So, I mean, it's smelling up in there. She has messed up everybody's dinner. And she could care less. The reason is because Jesus is worth it. So I want to ask you, do you care too much what others think? Are you afraid of looking ridiculous? Are, you, are your fears keeping you from doing something or saying something or displaying your love and your worship for Jesus in a way that others might criticize, complain? Is there some fear holding you? back from that I want to encourage you to follow her example be careless don't, don't care is what I mean he's worth it thirdly true worship as displayed by this woman true worship is complete complete you know she could have just come in and poured a few drops Maybe gotten a little crazy and taken the top off, filled a spoon and poured a spoon over him, you know, 
uh, that would have been ridiculous. She probably would have caught some flack for that. But she comes in and breaks this jar. Like it's not going to be usable again. There's not going to be any leftovers. She plans to expend all of it on Jesus. Every bit pouring it. Her worship is complete. She's not holding anything back. Not saving anything for later. I want to ask us, is that the way you worship? And I'm not talking about, is that the way you sing? Listen, Paul says our worship is a living sacrifice. Chapter 12 of the book of Romans, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in in view of God's mercy, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. This is, it's not about singing. We're not talking about music. That's part of, a, a small part of worship. Worship is ascribing worth to God Almighty. And so with your life, are you holding some back? Or are you all in? She broke this jar in an extravagant expression to say, I'm not holding back. I'm all in. It was complete. Not everyone in the room appreciated this. Um, Let's look back at our Bibles at chapter 14 of Mark. And in verse 4 it says, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? You see how they perceived her worship? They thought it was wasteful. Verse 5, For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Um, A couple of words stood out to me just reading through this passage and meditating on it this week. The, The word indignant and the word scolded kind of stood out to me. It tells us something about their hearts, doesn't it? You know, when someone is being that expressive and that worshipful and they're taking of their resource and they're expending it on Jesus in the way that they feel he's called them to. And and you stand back or these people stand back indignant, scolding. I I dug into those words a little bit. The the Greek words um, oftentimes give word pictures that English doesn't. And so um, this word for scolded gives us a word picture. And it's kind of funny. Um. It means with flared nose. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been scolded by somebody with the flared nose? <laughs> that nose goes to flaring. Uh, when I was a boy, my mom was really getting hot with us. When uh, there three sons, right? And she was just, when she was heated, this is what it sounded like. I tell you what, boys, I just don't know. And she talked through her teeth. It's like she couldn't open her mouth. She was so mad. And as she talked, her nose would just go to flaring. And I can remember seeing the flare as a little boy thinking, oh, she's mad. And that's the truth. And so this Greek word for they scolded her. You can just see the anger coming through their nostrils. Like they're angry at this expression of love. And they ask a question. I want you to see how they ask and how Jesus asks in a moment. They said, why was why this waste? That's 
It's a pretty significant question. We'll look at how Jesus responds to that in just a minute. But here's what I want us to see about these, these people. These who are gathered around who are criticizing and accusing and complaining about her expression of worship. They're very practically minded, aren't they? All they can see is how much value is in this jar. And what could we do with it? All they can see is through the lens of worldly wisdom. What this resource might could accomplish if it were spent in another way. But here you go wasting it all. We, we're much better stewards. We could take it and sell it and use the money on the poor. It all sounds very good, doesn't it? Sounds like great social justice and all those great causes that, I mean, who wouldn't want to spend the money on the poor? It's a great endeavor. But the question is why? Why this waste? I just want to make a statement to us that I, I hope resonates with you because I think it's true. Worldly wisdom will ruin true worship. A practical, rational, money-minded person who's just thinking about how can we best best spend all our re- how can we do this? Oh, we don't want to. We don't want to. Oh, that's a little over the top, right there. We don't. We scale that one back a little bit. Worldly wisdom will ruin true worship. And I'm not suggesting that we be foolish. I'm certainly not suggesting we go and break the bank and take all the money we have and just throw it out there and say, God's worth it, let's waste it. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. There's some wisdom. But here's the thing. This is where sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is so incredibly essential. What we've got to do is just say, Lord, we want to honor You. We say yes to You. Blank check. And then we listen for Him to ask the questions. Lord, the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Some of these guys were indignant and they scolded her. And Jesus is going to tell them that that's a heart issue. It's not a resource problem. It's a heart problem. They saw her actions as wasteful, not worshipful. Again, heart problem, not a resource problem. You know, if you were to cross-reference this and look at it in the synoptic gospels, you could see... Uh, And also in John, in John chapter 12, John gives us a detail that Judas Iscariot is the one who's kind of the ringleader of this argument. He's the one who's saying, this is a waste. He's kind of pulled some guys along with him. This is so wasteful. Why are we doing this? And John tells us, in John chapter 12, he says, Judas doesn't care anything about the poor. This is not about the poor. This is because Judas wanted to take the money and put it in the money bag that he was the keeper of and he used to steal from it all the time. That's what it's about for Judas. Worldly wisdom ruins true worship. Judas and others were operating through worldly wisdom and complaining about true worship. It wasn't really worship that they were concerned about at all. So this woman had some haters. And uh, haters going to hate, right? Um, they accused her of being wasteful. So in Mark 14, I want to see how Jesus responds to this. 
They accused her of waste. And look at verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. I like that. First way that Jesus responds is He defends her. Jesus defends her. He says, leave her alone. And then, remember the question they ask? Why this waste? They ask why. So Jesus reciprocates the question. He, he frequently responds to questions with questions. And he says, why do you trouble her? And we need to hear how deeply Jesus is penetrating here. His question is not just rhetorical. Most rhetorical questions aren't. His question is piercing. His question is getting to motives. It's getting to a heart issue. You see, Jesus knew Judas. Jesus knew Judas's hand was all the time in the money bag. Jesus knew Judas didn't care anything about the poor. He just wanted more money to pull from. Jesus knew. And that's the crazy thing is he knows our hearts, right? He knows your heart. So even if you and I explain away our laziness to worship with good intended, well intended probabilities, remember, we could take the money and give it to the poor as we explain away our well intended probabilities and we explain away our lack of worship. With well-intended probabilities, Jesus penetrates the heart and he says, this is not a resource problem. This is a heart issue. So Jesus defends her. He defends her and he interrogates them. I don't know about you, but there is one side of that equation I would rather be on. Secondly, Jesus commends her. I love what he says in verse 6. He says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. You know, they were saying she was badly wasting and he was saying she's beautifully worshiping. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then I love what he says in verse 8. If you write in your Bibles, underline this. She has done what she could What a powerful statement. She has done what she could. This gets to the extent of her worship. We've talked about the beauty of it. We've talked about the fragrance of it. All those things. This is the extent. Jesus is saying she's done what she could do. Reminds me of the story of the the widow with the two little pennies. You remember the story? Um, uh, Lots of wealthy people are coming and they're kind of dropping little bits of money in the offering. Um, And then here comes this widow with only two pennies, two mites. She takes her two mites and she puts it in the plate. And Jesus does a teaching about that. His teaching is it's not about the quantity. Right? He says these guys, they gave out of their abundance a little portion. But this woman, she gave all she could the teaching here is about heart. It's about worship. What is God worth to you? What is He worth? Could it be said of you? Would it be said of me? He did all He could. 
That's a convicting thought for me. What does your worship say? Your worship say about the worth of King Jesus. At what point do you draw the line and say, "Hmm, that's wasteful. Her worship was more than they knew and Jesus acknowledged that she was anointing him for burial. Lastly, Jesus defends her, he commends her, and then he remembers her. I love this, um, the end of this text in, I think it's verse 9, he says, What she has done will be told in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. Isn't this a crazy truth that Jesus made a prophetic promise that we are fulfilling today in this room? Reading this story, reflecting on her worship, we're actually fulfilling a promise of Jesus right now. I love it. He promised that this woman and her her little act of worship that happened in a secluded little room in the Middle East thousands of years ago, that thousands of years later and thousands of miles away, we'd still be talking about it. And it's because he wants to honor this kind of worship as the model, the example. So I want to call us to a deeper level, a deeper commitment, deeper expressions of worship. I want Mountain View Church to be known for, for extravagant worship. Again, not talking about singing. That's part of it. But I'm not talking about worship singing. I'm talking about a radical kind of living that says Jesus is worth it. Everybody around me probably thinks I'm wasting my life, but I'm giving it to Jesus because He's worth it. And I want to call us as a church to live that way, to operate that way, in a way that says, Jesus, you are worth it. People around us think we're blowing it. We're totally wasting it, but He's worth it. There are going to be those around us who criticize what we do and they might think that there's better options, better ways to use our resources. Why are they pumping money into all these missionaries? Why do they give away so much of their resources? They could build a good building for that because Jesus is worth it and His kingdom is worth it. This is the kind of gospel that we believe. This is why we don't hesitate to call all of us, myself, elders, everybody included, into radical kinds of commitment. Because our commitment is founded in His worth. So at what level do we overstep in calling you to commit? How far can we go in saying commit and go, wait a minute, that's too far. You've now dropped, you've crossed into waste. You're now calling me to waste. Paul says this again. I beseech you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul drew the line a lot further out than probably we will. All of it is his I want to draw your attention 
to a beautiful uh, link that I just think is cool. I want you to look at your Bibles with me in Mark 14. Look at verse 3. This woman brings this alabaster flask of ointment. It's very costly. And she what? What'd she do? She broke it and then what? And poured it out. Let's say that. She what? Broke it and poured it out. Now I want you to look over with me. Mark 14, verse 22. Now remember, this is the time of Passover, so we're having the Passover meal. The the disciples are gathered for the Passover meal. I want you to look at what happens here. Verse 22, Mark 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, He took bread, and after blessing it, He did what? He broke it. He gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is what? Poured out for for many. What I want us to see here is that this woman's act of worship, again, it's an, an, an expression of love and a display of worth, a declaration of worth. This woman's action is paralleled by Jesus doing the same thing with his own body to say, Father and disciples, I love you and I'm breaking my body and you are worth it all and I'm pouring out my blood. It's a display of his love and the worth of God Almighty. This is... um, Beautiful. He broke, he's broken and poured out for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. 